Catholic Views. I'm your host, Casey Bassett. Renee is still out on vacation, much-needed vacation. In the studio today, we're going to be looking or talking with uh, Father Mike Wensing about his vocation story. He has some very interesting experiences uh, in his youth and in his time in seminary and after he was ordained. Uh, so that'll be part one of two parts with him, uh, and it's a great conversation. Make sure you stick around for that. But first, Biblical Bites with Dr. B. I was concerned that you just looked at Father yeah, Mike I know, for like I, 20 minutes. I almost thought about stopping it, but <laughs> no. we, we pushed through. We pushed push through, through, push through. So, Casey, that's for Elise right there. Uh, what is today in the church year? Is Christ the King the last? N- no. 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 Let's, what is today? I mean, yeah. It, okay. You were right. If this, <laughs> right, if this right. was 2010, uh, you'd be right. But it's okay. not 2010. So that was 12 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to get a lesson was, here, I feel like. It was. Uh, I don't know. You're going to have to It is the me. solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, okay. King of the universe. Yes. Okay. He has the power. <laughs> That's a Should shout the echo out to uh, <laughs> He-Man, the cartoon yeah. from the early 80s, Elise. Another story. So, uh, yeah, you were going to say Christ the King, last Sunday of the, of the church year. So it is the last Sunday of the church year. Not that, you know, it's the one of the tricky things. It's not the day last day of the church year, sure. though. That's... Yes. Saturday. Yeah. Saturday be the last day, but it is the last Sunday of the church year, the last week of the church year coming up here. Uh, but the new translation, which way back we got in 2011, actually, um, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, sure. which I just like, that's just so magnificent, literally rich. magnificent. Yes. So the first reading for mass today uh, is from second Samuel. In those days, all the tribes of Israel came to David and Hebron and said, here we are, your bone and your flesh. So we're, we're all family. In days past, when Saul was our king, so Saul had been the first king of the Israelites, it was you, David, who led the Israelites out and brought them back. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and shall be commander of Israel. When all the elders of Israel came to David and Hebron, King David made an agreement with them there before the Lord, and they anointed him king of Israel. So um, just quick history there. The Going back to Saul, the previous king, Prior to Saul, um, the Israelites had been ruled by the judges. So this is after the Exodus, the people 40 years in the desert with Moses and so on. They cross into the Holy Land by Joshua. They conquer the Holy Land for the most part. Um, And then they're ruled by judges. Each tribe had judged. They're kind of ruling. But there's no one dominant ruling figure. The Israelites kind of look around like, hey, everybody else is a king. I want a king. Why can't we have a king too? Why don't we? So uh, the Lord's, all right, fine. Saul becomes their king. But David, Saul goes, starts to get get a little wobbly, starts to go sideways. So God tells the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And there in the house of Jesse, you will find the next king who I will choose. Like, yeah, these these people, my people wanted a king. They weren't happy with me. I'm kind of breaking into a New York accent there. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, it. Actually. They want a king. I wasn't good enough for them. Uh, um, so they chose Saul, but I've got somebody else in mind for next. So uh, we read about this in First Samuel. It's it's so it's David now. So David um, starts uh, with with Saul ruling. Things go bad. Right. David now becomes the new king. Okay. Okay. Again, what is today's Solemnity? Solemnity of Jesus Christ, 
Oh, I. Oh, 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 oh. I Our Lord Jesus Christ. The there we go. There we okay. go. So we can see, you can see where this is going. Right. Jesus is going to be the king. But then the gospel reading. Here's the gospel reading. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You're going to know. Tell me as soon as you know where this is from, Casey. The rulers. This is Luke's gospel. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, "He saved others." What crucifixion? The crucifixion. So the church presents for us um, Jesus. This 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 solemnity, not fee solemnity, in which we're remembering Jesus as King, presents for us his death on the cross. So here's the rest of the reading. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. So the Christ of God. This is this word could be. It, the Christ is the anointed one. It's the Messiah. Christos uh, means Messiah. The Messiah is the new David. So if he is the Christ, means if he is the Messiah, means he is the if he is the new David, means if he is the King. Uh, if he is the chosen one, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of God, established by God. Even the soldiers jeered at him as they approached him to offer them wine. They called out, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him, there was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals hanging in there said, are you not the Christ, the king? Save yourself. The other one said, what are you doing? Stop that. (laughs) And then said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what I love about this, uh, so first of all, just that clarification, basically when we, when we say Jesus Christ, what we're basically saying is in a Jewish context, uh, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King. We're saying Jesus Christ is basically King Jesus. Okay. Um, so we have the first reading where David is um, having been already anointed by uh, God by means of, means of Samuel. Now the people anoint him and he definitely becomes the king. So now Jesus, we're okay. Jesus is the new Davidic king who established, who, 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 he doesn't establish his kingdom here, but where his kingship is, his kingship is revealed on the cross. When you think of the king being unveiled, you don't think of it being right. nailed right. to a cross. But this is where God, as he so often does, flips the script in terms of our expectations. For Jesus Christ, and he will reign triumphantly, gloriously. We're actually going to get more into that next week, actually in Advent. Mm -hmm. Jesus will come again at the end of time, but it begins by him stretching out his arms of the cross with the sign, which is the truth, over his head, this is the King of the Jews. Wow. Very insightful, Dr. B. Thanks. You bet. We've got a really special guest today here for you, though, uh, well-known throughout the diocese, been at a lot of different parishes, beloved priest with us. I'd like to welcome Father Mike Wensing on the show today. Welcome, Father Mike. Good morning. Thank you. You bet. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with Father Father Wensing about his vocation story and his life growing. It's a very interesting story. I've heard bits and pieces of it here and there as I've talked to him, but I'm sure there's a lot more he can fill us in on. So, I think, Father, what we'll start off with here is is from the very beginning, your ancestry, because I believe, and I might be mistaken, you wrote a book on your ancestry, correct? It was because of COVID. I've had a box of notes from grandparents' stories, great uncles and aunts, and just personal um, research that I've, I've I've done over the years. And I said someday I'm going to um, I'm going to write. Well, COVID locked me into my uh, room or apartment, and when I had just started up. Uh, retirement. So that's what I did the first year, 20, 
20, uh, 2021, uh, worked on it. And Amazon has it. It's called uh, Ancestry.mine, M-I-N-E, just a little play on that under my name, Michael Wensing. Uh, I begin in Europe, and with most of our immigrant history, uh, the um, reasons for emigrating to America, some were religious. I had I took the four lines of paternal and maternal grandparents and, and, and researched the best I could. There were some stories that were passed down from Europe from the 1850s and 1860s and the 1880s and, and 90s were, because they came at different times. And one was for a, a economic, two were actually for economic reason. One was religious reading, reasoning, and the other one was a, a, a political or military, a, sure. a bit of a, a flight from the uh, unification of Germany under Prussia. And there okay. was a pressure that... Uh, this particular ancestor did not want to participate in. And that most people have found fascinating. And they arrived to the Midwest, like Wisconsin, before the railroad had come through in 1861, mm-hmm. coming in 1856. So they had to find transportation by through the Erie Canal and through the Great Lakes and got off at Racine, Wisconsin. Sure. Others came after the railroad came to the Midwest. And, uh, and that, so it segued from there into... Everybody seems to enjoy reading the first half of the book because it speaks to their own history. And uh, the second half, I, I tell people, it will probably not pertain to you if you're not related to the people because mm-hmm. here's where I get to the names of parents and grandparents and marriages and uh, uh, the immigrant uh, uh, history in, in, in filing a homestead. It's a little bit of a Laura uh, Wilder type of uh, sure. book at the end. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's – so. From ancestry, let's go to your life growing up. Uh, where, where were you born, and then what was life like growing up for you? I was born in Watertown, South Dakota. My parents, uh, I was the oldest, first born, and, and they had a, an upstairs apartment in the house. Dad was working at Swift's, and Mom was working at uh, Herberger's, or in the year, switched to uh, Montgomery Ward. But sure. anyway, uh, Dad had just bought a quarter next to his parents' land, and he wanted to develop it, uh, and... Uh, he started building a house the, the year I was, my mom <laughs> my mom was pregnant and so I was born and after by the end of my uh, first year we uh, we moved out to that new house on the farm so I grew up on a farm okay. uh, from Florence so I was baptized uh, in Esteline uh, south of Watertown but then all my other sacraments were in the parish of Florence okay. and it was uh, I was the oldest of five and 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 farming. Uh, uh, was uh, was fun actually for me. I except milking cows. We hated that. My <laughs> brothers and I, but uh, we didn't mind the chores. Watching the baby pigs be born and even yeah. feeding the chickens and picking up the eggs, doing hay and harvest was great. But milking was, in fact, when I went to the seminary, in the back of my book, I have me milking cows at the Sioux Empire Fair. I entered a contest of hand milking since I still knew how to do that. <laughs> And my younger brothers uh, accused me. The only reason I went off to a high school boarding school, the minor seminary, was because I wanted to get out of milking, which I totally <laughs> denied back then. But now I tell them that's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, I've heard that from other people back in the day too. That milking was not their favorite task, and and that landscape has changed quite a bit from the from the family farm, family milking farm, corporate, to no corporate now, unfortunately. But um, so you went to school in. Esterly number 19, a county school. It was a uh, one-room schoolhouse. There were 19 of us in eight grades. So there were no such things as there were uh, kindergarten, preschool. So I remember the, the first time I saw an alphabet uh, on the, posted on the board above the blackboard was in first grade after I was six years old. And uh, and then uh, after I graduated from that one-room country school, I was, I was all uh, ready to go to Watertown because I was short for my age. 
And the two big programs, Watertown High School was successful in, in those days with the debate and uh, speeching, speaking, and they were taking state uh, titles and wrestling. They were taking state titles. I was small for my age, so I thought, I want to wrestle, and uh, that'll be the sport I can, I can achieve something in. And whatever I do in life, I want to be a speaker. <laughs> so, uh, but at the last minute, the Bishop's Bulletin, uh, stemming from this office, uh, was you used to be in black and white. Yep. It came out fully colored edition. And that was about the 1st of August saying, the new minor seminary boarding school next, uh, uh, next to O'Gorman, where we would go to classes, was opening and receiving candidates. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I have to go there. Uh, some of it was I wanted the education. Some of it was ever since I started serving back in fourth and fifth grade, I, I enjoyed uh, serving mass and and I, I used to even play mass when we had a blizzard at home. Uh, I'd be the priest and my brother would be the lectern and then um, uh, my sister would be in the pew, so to speak. We we, we had that uh, little game when, uh, when we couldn't go to church. And so I knew the priesthood was there, but I wasn't firm on it yet. I, I just, for sure, I have to, I'd be free to decide if I get an education. And, uh, and O'Gorman provided that. It was so lonely. Uh, but my good luck after my first year, I was only 14 after my first year, uh, a classmate and a distant cousin, John Lansberger, joined me so that we were partners on the bus every Friday night. It was an open uh, school in, in that we could go home every weekend if we wish. And when the weather was nice from end of August until after till Thanksgiving, usually I would stay the three weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But I went home every weekend and he was uh, he would ride along with me Friday night on the Jackrabbit bus and Sunday night back on the Jackrabbit bus. Sure, sure. So that was a that was a high school and uh, and uh, summers were on the farm working, you know, with everything that we did. And from age sixteen on, at least every Tuesday, I was at the sale barn moving cattle. Uh, a sixteen year old could get a job in those days. You usually had to be eighteen to get a full time job, unlike today. But then. Um, I at least had uh, some kind of money flowing in on Tuesdays all during the summer. Sure. And those were like 12 and 14 hour sale days. Uh -huh. I want to go back to something real quick because this has changed quite a bit. Um, and that's the minor seminary that you talked about. This is right. not a, this is not a thing anymore. No. And you know, we had a few very successful classes when we began. Um, I had classmates now Archbishop uh, Thomas Gullickson, who's retired, uh, Tom Hack, John Landsberger, Father Jim Zimmer didn't come, but he would come in for picnics and gatherings because he was already thinking about it during high yeah. school. But he, he was just in Humboldt uh, nearby. He didn't join us. So that uh, class uh, had several priests. And then uh, uh, the, the next class, Father Jerry Copel. And then, you know, but gradually we weren't getting anyone going on to the college seminary. Uh, unfortunately, it kind of segued from being a, a, a prep school for for candidates to the priesthood to being a, uh, a prep school for O'Gorman High School, I think. There was, okay. you know, the same, maybe the same desire I had, but it became kind of exclusive uh, to us. Uh, the athletic program and the academic program drew kids from the rural areas, and they did well. But uh, it somehow the um, the priesthood was uh, was not being nurtured there, sure. and, and it just was the dynamic. So when we got a new bishop, Bishop Dudley, uh, he— transitioned it, closed it, and opened a youth office and and and, and made me uh, the founder of that uh, youth office for the diocese, and I became vocation instructor as oh, well. Okay. So, And then we had our offices right there, the tribunal, the minor seminary, now is the junior high for O'Gorman. Right. That was the first chancery. 
So it was a transitional one. After Bishop Carlson came, was there for a few years, he re- renovated this old high school at Cathedral, and now it's the chancery ever sure. since. Uh, and sometimes there's some there's some use of language nowadays that they call the, the college seminary, the first four right. years, the undergraduate minor part. Seminary they now. sometimes still call that the minor seminary, Correct. but real in reality, what the minor seminary used to be was basically a high school time, of, like you said, prep right. school and whatnot. Right. So, so there's a little bit of a difference there in language. Um, but ultimately, the minor seminary, in my experience, is no more anywhere. I don't think. Correct. Correct. So. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, the, the education, the liturgy, I mean, music. Well, we had a, a, one of the priests at the seminary was good in music. And we would have, uh, every week, we'd have our music practice for the, for the masses and chant. And, and, uh, in, and two of the priests, Father Andrasco, Father Chris Polsky, taught Latin. So all of us had to take four years of high school Latin. Mm-hmm. And then a foreign language, German, French, or I was put in a French class or Spanish. And so as a prep school, it did serve beautifully as a foundation for, oh, sure. for seminary later on. Sure. Now, and you had mentioned this when you saw the, the Bishop's Bulletin that the minor seminary was opening. Was that, and you kind of alluded to the fact that it kind of hit you, was that where you first heard the calling or did it kind of develop as you were at minor seminary? You know, I think it's probably the first time I articulated, you know, I've thought of this but I don't think I ever spoke to my parents about the priesthood and I definitely did not speak to any friends. And I don't think I even mentioned it to my brother or sister. Uh, I think that with that bulletin, now it took, it, it, it takes a little influence from several sources. A, I had, uh, had a pastor, uh, he was at Florence for 22 years, Father John Naborski had been through Dachau, tortured by the Nazis for several years in the concentration camp. And now he had been our pastor for years, always encouraging vocations. And my first view of that Bishop's Bulletin was followed up, I think, within a day or two. He came out holding it in his hand and said, he always, he always called the women in his parish, ma'am. And he saw dad, he said, sir, ma'am, he said to my mom, I think your boy ought to go here. And, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, I guess no protest from me. I'd already brought it up. And I know it was hard for my parents who were struggling to, uh, uh, with farm work and finances and uh, to lose their number one chore boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they supported the vocation. It probably would not have happened if they didn't support it and said, well, we'll take you down there. We'll take a look at it. And, uh, and then I had, you know, grandparents who always were praying for priests in in their family too. So you, oh, yeah. you have to realize there's all these influences. Yeah. Unseen, right. That unseen. you can't see and, the, and whatnot. Uh, we're about halfway through. So if you're just joining us, we're at Catholic views. We're sitting here with father, Mike Wensing talking about his vocation story growing up, uh, what life was like and how he heard his calling. So we, we've worked through minor seminary. You're done with right. minor seminary. Did you go right into what? And two questions there. Did you go right on into college seminary and did it look was it the same as it is today? It's another eight years that we would have been looking right. at. And we still send men to Immaculate Heart of Mary Seminary and on, on the campus at University of St. Mary's, mm-hmm. Winona, Minnesota. Our diocese had a policy of sending everyone there in those days under Bishop Hoke. Um, and uh, w- w- I remember when I got there, and, 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 and the rector was uh, Father Brum, future bishop of San Diego, was very inspiring. And I, it was like a, f- a breath of fresh air, these new group of priests and so articulate and, and uh, talented. Uh, and of course, college can be exciting in itself. And so it reaffirmed, I, I'm, on, I'm on the right course, I thought. But uh, I remember uh, uh, that was a, a transition that was difficult. Uh, I had a date in the senior, they didn't have proms in those days, at O'Gorman, the senior dinner night, they called it. And uh, someone I was, had been a, in a crush over, but, oh. so I mentally had to break uh, that off and uh, and 
participate 100% in a college program. They said philosophy would be a good major for theology, but I already was hedging my bets, and I double majored in philosophy and clinical psychology. Oh. And so I graduated with those two degrees because I, I showed that there was a little, uh, I was still struggling with, uh, I never struggled with studies. And I was so excited about learning the theology and the history of the church. That's what, that was a very good bonding force uh, is the uh, academics towards the priesthood. Uh, the uh, difficulty I was struggling with is having come from a good family, uh, wanting to be married and have a family of my own. So I would say if there was a number one struggle with my spiritual director, it was always is that is that is that uh, good or is that bad to feel that tug uh, so strongly and yet wanting to be a priest and he says well welcome to the real world so for some <laughs> they knew they were going to be a priest from time they were a boy for others like yourself and one of the spiritual directors said or like me and he's told about his struggle um, he says it's kind of typical in fact uh, he said uh, I might venture to say maybe you wouldn't be a good priest if you also would not be a good father and husband. That's very interesting. And I thought it was a great insight. Uh, So I thought it was, God was giving me this struggle in order to make me a better priest. So how would I be a husband? If I daydreamed about that, how would I be a father? And at the same time, it was helping me, how will I be a spiritual father? Sure. And a spiritual husband of of the bride church, you know? And so I I didn't know that, but the the spiritual director was very clever planting that into my life, uh, that, you know, welcome to struggle. And he didn't predict what the conclusion would be because he knew that it was going to be up to uh, the grace of God in my decision. And so, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit in, in the Bishop's Bulletin article that at the end of uh, the four years, uh, actually, was, I graduated from college in three and a half years. I took extra credit. You know, when you don't have any money to go out on weekends, you, uh, uh, I, I uh, usually would study, <laughs> although I had three <laughs> jobs. I did dishes. Uh, uh, because I didn't want to borrow money to go through college. And in those days, we were kind of on our own for college under Bishop Hulk. And I became a barber. I had a barber chair. Oh, really? Basement, right. And so I cut a lot of hair. I had no idea. That you Faculty started coming over to me. and and uh, and But it had to be just a donation since I was licensed. I inherited, inherited from a, a <laughs> seminarian who had graduated ahead of me. So I inherited all the equipment in the barber's chair. Interesting. And so then the third job on the weekends is I w- would take care of all the dormitory uh, lavatories. And uh, so I had three different jobs to uh, bring in the money to pay the tuition. And uh, and then I would do homework. So uh, once in a while, we'd go out maybe uh, for pizza and and, yeah. uh, and a movie. But it was usually not more than once a month because of the budget I was, I was under. Sure. Anyway, when I came to the end of the three and a half years, Dr. Johnson, the head of the psychology department called me in and I had done very well with it so much so that he, he said that he had graduated from the university of Chicago. And he said that he'd uh, held in his hand because they said, if you ever find a likely candidate, um, they can apply. And with your recommendation, most likely he will uh, be able to get that fellowship towards a PhD mm-hmm. in clinical psychology. And he said, I think you're the candidate and I will back you all the way. Oh my goodness! I said I got to go pray about this, and I had a few sleepless nights that I sweated out because I thought it's like God says, "Okay, you want an option? Here you have it. What are you going to do?" Uh, you also know that the way is open to you for the major seminary because St. Paul Seminary had accepted me already, and and uh, I don't know. It hit me after a couple of days that um, it was time to quit fussing around. What did I really want? Deep down, I wanted the priesthood, so I went in and, and apologized to Dr. Johnson. Uh, for uh, 
saying no, but he said, why don't you get to, get the degree first since it'll be a free ride and then go to the priest? And I said, no, it's a matter of momentum. <laughs> the trouble is, is I will go off to Chicago and in grad school, I will meet a beautiful young lady and it'll be curtains. I said, it's momentum. If I don't keep the momentum now, uh, I said, into the seminary, I will probably be bowing out. I said, I, some people can do that. They can go on and get their doctorate and, and then re-enlist in the mm-hmm. seminary. Mm-hmm. But I said, that's not my nature. That's a, uh, the whole story that you just had about seminary is, uh, this is Vocations Awareness Week this week. This, uh, the episode won't be airing until the week after, but right now as we're talking, it's Vocations Awareness. And I think some of the things you said in there were very profound, especially when you were talking about the tug between the priesthood and being having a family and a father. Because I think some of the ideas around this is that a guy goes off to the seminary and he's, he either knows for sure all the time or, uh, or there's no real room once you go to discern. And, and uh, really profound statement. You said that a priest is, is also somebody who could be a good father or husband too. Right. I think that's really important for people, especially young men to remember nowadays that as they're thinking about seminary, it's, it's it's about a discerning and it's about you know being the best you can whether it's a priest or a husband or right, a father. Right. And you know, graduating in three and a half years, a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with finances. Uh, this I, I didn't have to pay a semester of tuition, and uh, uh, at that time uh, the minor seminary was open. Uh, Father Andrasko was both rector and still vocations director, and and another classmate graduated in three and a half years, Tom Heck, and who's retired in Florida now. But he invited the two of us to come out. And to work with the diocese and vocations office, uh, there'd be a little stipend. Mostly it was just room and board and small stipend. And we would travel, because he was so busy with the minor seminary, we would travel on behalf of the vocations office as two graduate, high college graduate uh, students going to St. Paul Seminary and give talks at all our, not only Catholic high schools, but all our religious education classes that we could. We were booked um, during the day at the, at the parochial schools, but almost every Wednesday and a few Sundays that had a religious ed programs sure. to go out and speak. And, you know, we had a full um, visual program as, as, as well as uh, our, our own witness story. It's funny how you, when you give a witness, I think it's with people who evangelize faith. If they knock on doors, which Catholics aren't very good about doing, you actually become so much stronger yourself. I mean, you not only have to defend it, but you have to, you're always thinking in terms of how do I explain it? And we were doing the same thing. How do I defend my choice to other 17-year-olds? Because we were only a few years older than them. And how do we best sell it to get them interested? Well, it ended up, it was so convicting to us so that by the end of that semester, uh, in the end of summer, going back into St. Paul's Seminary, I was... uh, I was totally uh, in the race, and it was just, uh, it, was, it was fun to be settled. I remember, yeah. um, uh, I mean, like I said, theology and academics were not a struggle as such. Um, so it was just now fun not to be struggling like that anymore. Sure. So I, sure. I had those good years at St. Paul's Seminary. Sure. Well, we've reached the end of the time for this episode. We didn't get as far as I wanted to because it's been such a rich conversation. I think what we're going to do is continue this on in the next episode, and then we'll get into uh, Father Wensing also wrote a book recently, or excuse me, a manuscript that he's working on about the afterlife and different notions of the afterlife throughout Jewish history and Christian history and how that relates. So we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but for this episode, Father Wensing, I appreciate you coming on and talking Thank to you. us. We'll continue Thank on you. the conversation. And that wraps it up for today. You can always find us on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Captivate Podcasts. Uh, and uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. Until next time.